Good morning and welcome. It is so good to have each of you here worshiping with us, whether in the sanctuary or joining us by streaming. We welcome you. Please stand and join me in the call to worship, which is printed in your bulletin. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, our God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Praise the Lord, my soul. Eternal God, our Father, who is from everlasting to everlasting, you have made us and you are never far from us. As your children, may we learn the ways of freedom and choose you with all of our hearts. Grant us now your Holy Spirit, that confident in prayer, we may worship you with joy and become as little children before you. Amen.
Amen. What a wonderful way to begin our worship, declaring the praises of our God, who is so good to us. It is great to see you here today. Let me invite you to share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. Let me just quickly uh, remind you of one thing, that we are hosting a uh, college student, grad student, and, and community uh, luncheon, uh, potluck after this service. And if you signed up, obviously you want to go. It's in the community room behind us. If you came, you didn't sign up, come anyway. Uh, it's a great time just to connect and interact. We'll have some, there's some games to have there to play and uh, just a chance to be together. So we will hope you'll join us right after this service in the community room. children come in as two-year-olds to introduce them to the basics of our beliefs and also to make them so that they're welcome coming to church and that they feel like it's a happy and safe place to be. A chance to come in contact with families that we wouldn't necessarily cross paths with. One of the big blessings is just to have contact with parents and Siblings, although many of those older kids have been in our class over the years. We even have had some of the moms and dads in our class years yeah. ago because we've been doing this close to 30 years. Another real blessing is the opportunity to have academy students come and work with us in the class. They're enthusiastic and very helpful, and I think they also learn that there's a place for them in the church where they can serve others through serving these kids and the families that they represent. One of the greatest blessings I have first, I think I love to see the changes in children as they grow up. I have them in kindergarten and I really, really enjoy seeing them returning and giving me hugs and wanting to be part of the class and speaking in the class so they're first and second graders. Um, and also it has given me a chance to use materials that my daughter used to use in her classes and after she passed away it was nice to be able to use her materials and her furniture in a Sunday school room. It makes me feel close to her. We learned what a prayer request is and they are anxious to pray and that to me is great to be able to show them how to have a friendship with God. Teaching Sunday School is going over the Bible stories um, in a way that you have to get deep enough or grasp it to the point where you can come up with a life application for the kids. Um, and saying the stories over and over again become, they're not the same. They're, they're, there's, there's a truth that's alive and inspired, and you get to experience that more because you're digging into it on a regular basis. Um, and I guess uh, the second part of that lesson is watching the kids who uh, have gone to study school maybe for years um, and know the stories and you still get that aha moment in their faces and their gratitude. 
And that's just that's just a neat thing. And I, I really enjoyed that. It's just fun watching the kids grow up and knowing that you've uh, been part of their life and their growing process. And also, since I was in charge of the stack, I probably know what every kid's in Hogan's favorite stack is. And what they're out of the right. What they're out of the right. One of the greatest blessings of teaching the sixth grade catechism class is having the young people think things through and come up with their own way of expressing the ideas that we've talked about. Another blessing is watching the young people begin to use their gifts and talents to serve in the church. One of my favorite blessings is having students from previous years stop by on Sunday morning to say hi. Good morning. Thank you so much. So many of you have welcomed me back here to the church on staff again um, after about a 10-year break. And it's just such a blessing to be back and um, serving the children. Thank you to so many of you that have um, worked with our children in the past. And a special thanks to the Maylies, the Blues, the Moors, and the Taylors. I think if we added up all the years of service that the four of them have put together... In, over the years, I think it would be over 100 years of service for our kids, so that's pretty impressive. I'm so thrilled to be able to announce today that we are fully staffed with all of our children's ministries. Thank you. Um, and we're also starting some new things this year, including a new Wednesday night program, which will begin October 4th. So there's lots of information about that if you're interested. Um, we will do sign-ups this Wednesday at 6 o'clock in the foyer of the community room. Someone asked if I would um, share some specific needs that we have, and um, one need that I can think of off the top of my head is that uh, Mr. Blue will be taking our church van to Belfast. We're going to make our Wednesday night ministry a outreach to the children at Belfast School, and we need one person who would be willing to ride along with Mr. Blue in the van just to have an extra set of hands in case it's needed. Um, also, if you have a desire to work with children in any form, um, if you like to do craft projects or um, just would like to be an assistant in any of the areas, please let me know. We're, we're always happy to have more helpers. Um, we also have the Operation Christmas Child um, program again this year, which will be a church-wide event on November 8th. And something exciting that our junior church is doing this year is something called the 5 and 2 program named after the little boy who shared his um, loaves and fish with Jesus, and Jesus multiplied them and fed the crowds. Um, the 5 and 2 program takes your change, some quarters and nickels and dimes that the children will be collecting, and all together, all the different churches will put their change together, and we're praying that God would multiply that and use the funds to help those students who have not been yet sponsored through World Hope. So it goes through the child sponsorship program. So you'll be hearing more information about that, and it's also in the highlights. Thank you again for the warm welcome and for all of the ways that you serve in many different areas in our church. Our Old Testament scripture reading is select verses from the book of Joel. The word of the Lord that came, came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? 
tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children, and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Blow the trumpet in Sion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. And mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Sion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill. Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day, the mountains will drip new wine, and the hills will flow with milk. 
All the ravens of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste, because of violence done to the people of Judah, in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? No, I will not. The Lord dwells in Zion. This is the word of the Lord. As the ushers come forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings, please stand for the doxology. only, O God, would we offer our thanksgiving for so many loving expressions of your concern for us. But also, in Christ's name, we dedicate these gifts that through them we may participate in the work of your ever-widening kingdom. Amen. You may be seated.
that song that uh, is a prayer uh, for God to work in our lives leads us into continuing in the spirit of prayer. So let me ask you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Eternal Father, we live in a world of great pain, heartache, and despair. Far too often, we have been enamored with our own struggles and uninterested in the struggles of others. We know that you call us to care for others, even as we care for ourselves. Forgive our apathy, slothfulness, and self-centeredness. Help us to see the needs of others right around us, to pray for compassion about their needs, and to seek ways to be your agents of healing, peace, and grace through Christ. Amen. Father, we thank you that when we pray these prayers of confession, you hear us and you answer in ways that are beyond us. We thank you that you always hear us when we pray. This morning we come in a spirit of need. Needs in our lives, needs in the lives of those close to us, needs in our world. There are names of people in our bulletin. Some are new, many are not. Father, we keep praying for them because... You tell us to pray and not give up. We keep praying for them as a means of expressing our faith in you to do above and beyond what we could dream or imagine. We keep praying to encourage them in their journey. And we thank you that you hear our prayers. We continue to pray for the needs of our country and our world and we pray that that you will bring unity to our nation that is so often divided. We pray for people who most recently have been affected by hurricanes and earthquake. We ask that you would pour out your grace upon them. We thank you for the work of organizations like World Hope and others. May their assistance bring hope in the midst of despair and give us the grace to be involved. Father, we continue to pray for the needs of our world beyond us, places of war and violence, bring peace. For refugees who continue to struggle with a home and safety, protect them, bring them home. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters who who serve you in places of the world where their lives are threatened, where they face opposition and persecution every day. We pray for the Christians in Bangladesh as they and the nation respond to the hundreds of thousands of Muslim people fleeing across the border from Myanmar. Instead of an opportunity to to pass judgment on people of another faith. Give to our brothers and sisters in Bangladesh your love to reach out, to help, to be the hands and the feet 
of Christ to people who do not know Christ. Father, we thank you for the ministries of this church. We have heard about Sunday school and working with our children this morning. We thank you for all the things that you you enable us to do. We thank you for all of our children. They are a heritage and they are a, a gift and responsibility to us. And we pray that you will help us to nurture them in the faith. That as they grow and mature, they will want nothing more than to follow you. And we pray, Father, for the Wesleyan Church of Hamburg, Pastor Ken Nash. May your grace be upon this congregation of believers as they serve one another, the community of Hamburg and beyond. May they know your blessing in every way. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. to see your 
Our New Testament scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and verses 14 through 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. The more I get into these prophets, the more I'm asking myself, why did I get into these prophets? Quite frankly, earlier this week, I thought, okay, I think I've got a handle on this. I think I've figured it out. I've got the formula. I've got got it all in place. But the more I kept thinking about it, the the more tension I saw and the less less boxed in this prophet Joel became to me. Part of it is trying to understand what happens in the first half of of the prophecy. God sends locusts on the land. Not just one swarm of locusts and not just two or three, but four. Four swarms of, swarms of locusts come upon the land. And we try to figure that out and our mind jumps to all kinds of conclusions. Last Sunday after service, if you were here you may realize this, but I was looking out the back window and I, out toward the street and I, I saw this swarm of insects above the windows there. And I thought, what in the world is that? And quickly found out that there was a swarm of bees. And some of you experienced that as you left church. And some of you weren't able to leave church because of the swarm of bees. They were up in the bell tower. They were flying around. They ended up in a tree across the street. They were in this tree over here. And I thought, in fact, I think I said to a couple of people, that's too bad that wasn't next week when we're talking about Joel and the locusts because that would be kind of cool, right? And then Monday, I left work and I came out to my car and it was just covered with gnats. I mean, just gnats everywhere. And now I'm starting to get nervous. Because I'm thinking, okay, we got bees on Sunday, we got gnats on Monday, and we got locusts we're talking about. Where is this headed, right? And our mind automatically jumps to that. I, I, like you probably, read things in the past couple of weeks, people's comments about the hurricanes and the earthquake, and making value judgments, moralistic judgments, about why that happened. And, and people making accusations. We're going to talk a little bit more about this particular thing in a couple of weeks. But isn't it interesting that when people make those statements, whatever side or the perspective they come from, that when they make those statements about why the hurricane came and a moral kind of judgment, it's always about somebody else and what they're doing. It's not possible that God might have done that because of what I'm doing. But we jump to these conclusions, and when you read a book like, like Joel, his prophecy, we want to say, well, what is, what's the parallel in our world? And quite frankly, I'm not sure there is a parallel, because this isn't a, locusts aren't coming on all the nations of the earth, they're just coming on God's people. This is on Israel. And if we were to, I guess if we found a parallel, it would be that maybe tornadoes just jump from church to church all over our land. This is a word about God's people not being God's people. This is a word about God's people rejecting him, choosing self rather than their creator. And the consequences of that, because sin always leads us away from God toward destruction. There's no way around it. Because the source of life and hope and grace and all that is good is God. And when we choose to walk away from him, when we choose to turn away from him, we are walking away from life and grace 
and joy and all that we were created to experience. We often are walking away from the blessings of God himself. You know, land to the Israelites was always the the primary sign of God's blessing. To Abraham, God says, I'm going to make your descendants as great as the stars, and they're going to come and live in this land where you're now standing. As the people are in Egypt and Moses goes to talk with them, that what is going to draw them out is not just I'm going to free you from slavery, but I'm going to free you from slavery so that you can inherit this wonderful land flowing with milk and honey and everything positive you can think of, this the land that is productive and abundant and sustaining to you and beyond. And when they get there, it is so productive that when the spies go into the land, they see grapes so big they carry them on poles. No wonder God is irritated with Israel when they come across up to the Jordan River and say, you know what? I don't know. Those giants look awfully big. Those walls look awfully thick. Thanks, but no thanks. We'll go back to Egypt. What they're saying is, God, you've promised us these great blessings, but you know what? What we can do ourselves is better than the blessings that you could ever give us. The land has always been important to them, the sign of God's blessing. I I wonder if if the land wasn't going to be the primary witness to what it looks like for people to follow Yahweh. That when you follow Yahweh, you live in this life of abundance. And all the nations around Israel would look at them and say, Huh, so that's what it looks like to follow Yahweh. We don't get that from our gods. Tell us more about this Yahweh you worship. But instead, the Israelites abuse the land and misuse the land and manipulate the land. They use it selfishly. They even worship the land. And isn't that one of our our biggest struggles is to worship the blessings of God? God gives us, God gives us the ability to, to live. He gives us wealth. He gives us education. He gives us relationships. He pours all these blessings into our lives. And we have a tendency to worship the blessings instead of the one who gives us the blessings. And we become more enamored with what God can give us than God himself. And what ends up happening is it leads us away from God. Away from the source of those blessings. And God's word to Israel is, return to me. It's a common common command to the people. When they have turned away from him, he says, return to me. Come back to me. Tozer said that God takes nine steps toward us, but we have to take the tenth step. And the tenth step is returning Repenting, acknowledging our need for God, acknowledging that we have sinned, acknowledging that we have walked away from our creator, acknowledging that our life is meaningless without him. That all the things that we may accumulate in this world, all the blessings that we may want to worship, shrivel up into nothingness without the creator who gives them. And we recognize that.
And we acknowledge that. And so he says to the people, you know, you, you rend your garments. You, you go around in mourning. You put sackcloth and, and ashes on. And that's, that's okay. But what I really want is your heart. What I really want from you is that you want me. That you recognize who I am. And that you want what I want, what I offer to give you. That you want me at the center of your life. Return to me. And you begin to understand, when we return, we begin to understand the nature of who God is. As God tells Moses in Exodus 34, I am patient and compassionate and loving and gracious and kind. More than you could ever dream or imagine. He says the same thing in Joel's prophecy. What happens when we return and we repent, it's, it's not that doing that sort of triggers God's blessings. But rather, when we return, when we repent, when we acknowledge our need for God, we open the gate to allow God's blessings into our lives. This is one of the things that, that we, we struggle with because sometimes I think our view of God is such that he doesn't really want to give us blessings. And so we have to do something to try to trigger those. But that's the view of all the other gods that the nations around Israel worship. But Yahweh, Yahweh can't wait to give us blessings. Yahweh is chomping at the bit to give us blessings. He's the one who pursues us. He's the one who's after us, who in love and kindness and grace that Hosea talks about. This is our God. The problem is we don't want the blessings he wants to give us. We build walls. And God is right up against the walls. But we say, no, I'd rather have my own way. I'd rather find my own things. But the minute we acknowledge our need for God, we open the gates and the blessings pour in. That is the, this is the God that we worship. This is Yahweh. This is our God. And when, when we allow God to pour out his abundance on us, then we see what Joel talks about in the second half of this prophecy. It is interesting to me that many of the prophets have, I'd say, seven-eighths of their prophecy is all about judgment. And then, with you know, other things interspersed, but it's primarily turn around. This is bad. God, is, God needs to address this in your, in your lives, individually and corporately. And then at the end, there's hope. But, but in Joel, the first half is about calling them to account. But the whole second half of the prophecy is about what God wants to do to bless them. And he says, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit upon you. I love the way that's the words of that. He doesn't say, I'm going to trickle my Holy Spirit on you. I'm going to sprinkle a little bit here and there. No, he says, I'm going to pour out. I'm going to open, I'm going to open the faucet wide. In fact, I have this vision of, you know, one of those great big water pipes. And you're standing in front of it. And it just kind of knocks you over. It's just so much. This is what God does for us. He pours out his spirit upon us. And and I love the fact that he doesn't pour it out on a few people. He pours out his spirit on the people we would expect and the people we might not expect. The people we look up to and maybe people we look down on. The people who have all the power in the culture, the men. And the people who have very little power and influence, the women. 
He pours out his spirit on the young who are maybe naive but full of great ideas and the old who are wise and we may think are past their prime. They're still going to dream dreams of the great things of God. And what happens when the Spirit is poured out upon us, we see it in Pentecost that we read about from Acts. Exact same word. Peter just quotes Joel's prophecy. Is that it begins to shake up things. When the Holy Spirit comes, our boxes about God are shattered. Our formulas are torn apart. And all the ways in which we think we have figured God out and we put him in our box get blown apart. And that makes us uncomfortable. I feel much more comfortable, honestly, when I'm in control of my own life. I've got everything figured out. I've got all the, all the bases covered. I've got all the holes plugged. I've got it figured out. And, and it's a lot more comfortable to just do what I have figured out to do. Because the minute God enters the picture, it's not always comfortable. And I think the reason it's not comfortable is because it reminds us that even in the blessings, we never stop needing God. And we never know where the Spirit's going to lead us. We never know how the Spirit's going to work with us. What kind of relationships God, the Spirit is going to ask of us. What places the Spirit is going to ask us to go. What circumstances the Spirit is going to move us into. But the one thing we know, despite the fact that it may sometimes feel uncomfortable, the one constant is that we know because it's from God, it's good. And it's leading us to good. It's leading us to blessing. We may not see it in the moment. We may not understand it in the moment. But the heart of God is always good. He wants for us and for all of his people. And maybe one of the places where the Spirit challenges us the most is in how we respond to our enemies. How do we respond to people who fight against the church? How do we respond to people who fight against the kingdom? How do we respond to people who fight against us? Beginning in chapter 3, virtually, well, the first 16 verses, it's all about God's judgment on Israel's enemies. And when you read that, you think, well, that doesn't seem like the God of love. But only a God of love cares about justice. Only a God of love cares about, about defeating evil. Because the alternative is that God would watch, would look at evil and say, hey, you know, nothing I can do about it. God cares deeply about evil. God cares deeply about the consequences of evil and how people are hurt by evil. And God is a God of justice. The problem is, we want sometimes to think that if God can pass judgment on people, so can we. But our calling is to trust God and his justice that is perfect and true and right. And our calling is to love our enemies. Our calling is to have the heart of God about our enemies. In Ezekiel's prophecy, he says to him, look, I'm I'm going to have to judge the nations who have been so heinous to Israel. But 
Ezekiel, weep over that. Weep about it. In, in chapter 18, verse 23, he says, he says to Ezekiel, do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. That's the heart of God. And I know that I am walking in the Spirit. I know that I'm in a much better place than I sometimes am when I have that perspective. When it breaks my heart that there are people who blatantly choose to reject God. It breaks, and, and, and what I want for people is not to be, not to face judgment for what they've done. I want people to be, to have their eyes open to who God is and to be set free. And the times when I do fall into a spirit of judgment toward other people, one of the ways the spirit speaks into my heart is to say, you do realize that you have some judgment coming too, right? And that's why Jesus can say to us, in the heart of the Father, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Because when you do that, you are acting like children of your Heavenly Father. It's a sign of the Spirit being poured out on us. When you get to the end of the prophecy... You get this image of, of the day of the Lord. He's been talking about the day of the Lord throughout this prophecy. And it's been judgment. It's been, it's been dark. It, it has been, it's been difficult words. But now when we get to the end of the prophecy. He says the day of the Lord is coming. And it will be a day that will be glorious. And the culmination of that day ultimately to come is that Yahweh says, I'm going to live with my people. I'm going to make my home with my people. And home, home is that place that we feel safe. Home is the place where we feel secure. Home is the place where we can be ourselves. We can close off the doors and and we don't have to entertain. We don't have to try to perform for people. We're just home. And what a glorious thing to know. God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to be home with you. And you will never feel more safe, more secure, more relaxed than when I have made my home with you. And so John writes in his gospel, the word became flesh and made his home with us. Dwelt among us. It was a glimpse of what of what's going to happen on that day. And I can't help but think of Revelation 21, where John says, I looked and I saw before me a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God. And I witnessed God's home as a place of healing and restoration. And reconciliation. All the characteristics of the creator in that home. Verse two, chapter 2, verse 25. 
is one of those verses that I think we have a tendency to skim over when we're reading. But Joel says, God says to the prophet, I know you've been through difficult experiences. I know that the locusts have eaten everything you can see. But I am going to restore the years that the locusts took from you. When we live with the consequences of our sin and our sinful choices, the, the enemy whispers into our ear, you'll never, be a, you'll never be out of that. You'll never get away from that. You're going to have to live with that shame and that guilt and, and the loss. You'll, you'll never be free from that. But God says, I can restore that. I can make you new. I can bring you through that. And I will change the perspective you have about that. And instead of the years being lost, I can actually redeem that. If we will let him. It comes back to that pivot point in the book. The pivot point of the prophecy, chapter 2, verses 12 to 17, return to me. Repent. Acknowledge that you need me. It is, it is the gate, it's the door that opens us to God's amazing blessings. So the question is, do we want that? Are we ready in our faulting, failing way to say, God, I want what you want. I want to be who you created me to be. And I can never even be close without you. So here's my life. And I surrender to you, not once and then I'm done, but every day, every moment, I need you. And find that God is enough, that he's good, that he's for us, that his heart and his activity is grace. Holy Father, thank you. Thank you for the word that you've given to us through the prophet of your desires for us. Help us to see you for who you are. That we might open ourselves to you this day and every day through the grace of Christ. Amen.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.